0: Everybody, you come back to your seats, we have uh, another opportunity to look at the gospel according to Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, if, if you've not been with us, we've seen uh, this picture of this sort of famous prophet trying to outrun God. And the good news is, is that when we're God's children, is that we may be really good at running, and we may be, think we're pretty slick, but God is faster than we are. Uh, As committed as we may be to our rebellion, he's more committed to our rescue, and uh, sometimes uh, his grace feels like he is punishing us. Sometimes it is what we might call a severe mercy, but it is the good discipline of a father who is wanting to save us from ruining our lives. And so we see this in Jonah, and we see this morning as we come to Jonah chapter 3, really this kind of uh, God hitting restart on Jonah's life, giving really the same call, the same message. And we here all this morning, I I think, can be so thankful uh, that God calls us again to obedience. That even when we have said, we just intentionally, like Jonah, I am going to flee not only the call of God, but I want to flee the presence of the Lord, is that he brings us back and he gives us that call again. And so we're going to look in Jonah chapter 3... Uh, This morning, so read along with me, either from the screen or uh, if you have an app or your copy of God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your sovereign pursuing grace. We thank you, God, that the depth of our evil is not greater than the ocean of your grace. We pray today, God, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would want to say to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I really don't enjoy is participating in something that I don't understand or participating in something that doesn't make sense to me. Recently, I had this experience with my good friend Dustin here, who I'm sure he wants me to point him out, in showing me card tricks. Now, some of you guys may like card tricks and, and magic-y kind of things, but for me, it just, it just really makes me frustrated. And part of it's because of my ignorance, and I just can't figure it out. It just doesn't make sense. But also, it's because I, I, just, I just really can't get it. And it hurts my brain to try. And I really don't, don't want to do it because it, it feels like something that is a waste of my time due to my ability to understand it and due to my ability especially to actually be able to do it. And I think something similar can happen in all of our hearts and I know happens in my heart when it comes to the call of God to participate in what He's called us to do when it is, just seems utterly impossible. And even from a human perspective, it is impossible. God tells Jonah to go and proclaim his message to a wicked, wicked, evil people. And we've seen already Jonah has ran from this because he does not have a category for the power and grace of God to bring about change in not only an individual person, but a vast and great city. Now, I want you in your own mind right now to just think what are the things in your life that you really don't have a category for God actually changing? Well, we won't we won't talk out loud this morning. Sometimes we do this. But what in your life? You have these categories to where you say, in my life, I just really don't think God's going to change that. Now think about other people that you know. Whether, maybe, maybe followers of Christ, and you're thinking, you know, that's just not going to change. You don't even have a category for it. You don't want to participate in it. You don't want somebody to talk to you and say, hey, like, like Dustin to me, listen, if you'll just watch, this is how it's done. You know, you don't want to do that. It, it, it just hurts your brain, and maybe for some of you, it hurts your heart. You don't want to be disappointed. Whether in yourself or if you're honest, maybe you don't want to, in your mind set God up for disappointing you. Now think not only of yourself, not only of other people, but of particular places. Maybe neighborhoods, maybe streets, maybe cities, maybe counties, maybe countries. And if you were honest with yourself, you do not have a category for how change could happen. But if we are to look honestly at the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation, is it not a story of God making something out of nothing? Is it not a God who, matter how deep and wicked and vile humanity goes down, is that He is not able to bring redemption and restoration? Is it not a story of redemption out of the fall? Is it not a story of a covenant faithfulness on the other side of a flood? Is it not a story of a call to a blessing to the nations after a tower of Babel? Is it not a story of a Joshua who brings victory to the people of God even though God has to make the sun stand still? Is it not a story of of Gideon, of a God who purposely and intentionally makes the numbers of his army so low that no glory could be brought to the people? Is it not a story of the Apostle Paul who is a murderer of the church and becomes the greatest missionary? Is it not a story of Peter who would be the, the rock and his confession that the church would be built upon who betrays the Lord and then later even in his ministry forgets the very gospel that he proclaims? The whole story of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a story of God breaking out our categories of what we say He can do, who He can do it in, and where He can get it done. And if we are to be faithful to the call of God in our lives, or maybe you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever. You're not yet a follower of Jesus. If you are to be able to respond to the call of God, then you must have the vision this morning of a God who can bring change and the hardest people, and the hardest places, and sometimes that's ourselves. So how do we respond to this? Well, we need very quickly this morning to, to think of a few wins. When is it hardest for us to believe this, but when we must believe that God can bring it? First is when the place or the person we're called to, it just seems too hard. When the context, the culture, the situation, or the circumstance that God is calling us to believe this really just seems beyond us. So in our text here this morning, we see a newish Jonah, but we see the same Nineveh. God has brought Jonah through a great ordeal. God has taken this running, rebellious prophet, and now He has literally spat him out in a new direction. And the same call has came, though, to go to the same city. Maybe a new Jonah we're going to see, not totally new next week, but a same Nineveh. It is evil, it is wicked, it is personal, it is national. Now, lest we forget our sympathy towards Jonah... Let's imagine this is exactly what is happening. If you were to go to the literal location where modern-day Nineveh or Syria is, some would say it is right in the center of what we might consider ISIS territory. So ISIS, we're talking, we're talking uh, radical evil. And, and imagine you're now called to go there by yourself. And you're called to go to that place and you're called to go and say, God is going to take you all down. The true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and above all, Jesus, is here. Now, who? some of us would say, alright, I, I feel a little more sympathy for Jonah. Nineveh was a very evil place. Personal injustices, but also social injustices was signature of this place. One person says this, Assyria was one of the most cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, gloating of whole plains, whole plains, P-L-A-I-N-S, vast places of land, littered with corpses and cities burned completely to the ground. The Emperor Shamanizer III is well known for depicting torture, dismembering, and decapitations of enemies in gristly detail on large stone panels. So this was their art. Their culture was not just merely one of where we, we do mass genocidal evil, but then we celebrate it in our art. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm in hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. We need to feel this. I'm not trying to just shock you. This, this, we need to feel this. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so that they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned adolescents alive. Those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. Why, why, why share this? Because we oftentimes, I want to say this humbly, have the audacity to think that we live in the hardest time in the history of the world. Here's a quote that I read recently. I want you to think, who is probably this being described? What generation is being talked about? Children now love luxury. They all have bad manners. They have contempt for authority. They disrespect their elders. They'd rather, and, and, and they love to talk. Talk, 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 but no work. The young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence. Now, who, what generation do you think is being talked about? What slice of generational culture? Well, Val, trying to do a smart answer. A lot of people in this article, you're close though, would think that it's probably talking about millennials, right? I mean, I'm not saying this just because there's several millennials in here, but like, oh, wow, millennials. Uh, so. this, this was actually from 1274. They've just been saying the same things every generation about each other. We think we have the first worst famines. In 2 Kings, they were bullying their kids and eating them. We think we have the worst corrupted church. Oh, it's so hard to be the church today. I encourage you to go and read 1 Corinthians. Where they're fighting over their leaders and who's their favorite. Where they're picking sides. where, Where they can't even have the Lord's Supper without extreme division. Where there's incest taking place in the church and they're saying, you know, I really don't think that's something we need to take seriously. We think that we have so much to get done that we can't live life. And then we read in Proverbs 31 of this person, this woman who is extremely busy we feel like we have worse apathy towards social injustices. And then we read the book of Amos. We feel like we have the worst culture. And then we read about Noah and the whole earth being flooded. We remember Sodom and Gomorrah. We feel like we have the worst inconsistency in our church. And we forget that in our history, even in the American South, that, that slavery was affirmed and approved by much of the church. And I could go on and on. Here's the bottom line it is not harder for us to be a Christian today than it's ever been. We do not live in the worst season in the history of the world. And your situation and my situations, however hard we may think they may be, however hard we may think we may be as people, however hard we may think it is to get along with others, however, however hard we may think it is to be the church in this culture seeking to bring good news. Is the only way that we're going to have hope and not just take it to the house and say, why should I even try? Is to remember that it's always been hard. There's always been Jonahs, and we've always been the Jonahs, and there's always been Ninevehs, there's always been Assyrians, there's always been exiles. Some of you very likely are sinking into apathy when it comes to the mission of God and His call on your life or you're sinking into despair, or you're sinking into bitterness, because you think in some way, and I fall into this myself, that your situation or our situation is just utterly unique and exempt to the power of God. Can you be a Christian today? Can you keep going? Could Jonah? Could Moses, the murderer and angry leader of God? Could David, the adulterer? Could Peter, the betrayer? We can. Can we be the church today? It's not harder to be the church. Yes, Acts 2 is a beautiful vision, but do you realize that within the Roman Empire, not only would they have worked their six days of the week, but without exception from the the government, many times there, there was no weekend within the Roman government. They would have met into the night. And if we keep reading into the book of Acts, there were racial divisions already in Acts chapter 6. In Acts 15, there were doctrinal divisions. Even Paul and Barnabas split ways. They said, we can no longer work together because they disagreed over Mark and where his place should be in the mission. It's not harder today. Can we be missionaries today? The humanism, individualism, and consumerism of the 21st century American culture is rough, but it is no worse than our ancestors faced under the hedonism of ancient Rome, the individualism of Gnosticism, the humanism of the Enlightenment, the consumerism of the 20s, the great wiping out of missionaries in other countries that happened in the past and is still happening today. And ultimately... Before Jesus, do we think we live in a harder time than He did? As He often looked out and He said, You evil and wicked generation. And yet He went there. I'm with you. Sometimes it feels so overwhelming when you look in the mirror, when you look around the room, when you look out into the world. We have to be reminded it's not harder. But also, if we're going to believe in the power of God to bring change, then we also need to go with the whole message. And we need to do this when it feels like it's just too offensive. So it's, it's hard, right, to believe God can change in the world that we live in. it's also hard to believe that we can take the message of the gospel into a world that doesn't want to hear it and it be worth our time. Jonah here in verse 4, we see this. He shows up persistently. It's a three days journey just to get across this place. And it seems that Jonah's not just you know, going right to the center and proclaiming as you know, one sentence here, but he would have engaged in this ministry where he would have walked the land and he would have shared this message we received in summary form. And it was a message that was, again, not seeker friendly. In 40 days, God's going to overthrow this place. Now, the assumption is, and nearly everyone agrees, that it's not Paul, it wasn't just Jonah walking around saying this one sentence over and over again. This was a summary of his message. It was a summary of the fact that there is a God, a true God, not the gods of the Assyrians. He is Lord over all. To him belongs glory, to him belongs your identity, to him belongs your life. And if you do not turn from him, then there will be judgment. We don't like to talk about that today. It wasn't any easier to share that in Nineveh. <laughs> again, we can't, we can't say like, oh, everybody's so sensitive nowadays. No, Jonah is declaring this in a place where, again, they have family members march their other family members' heads around on sticks to be reminded of who's in charge. But Jonah didn't share an ad on God. The, the $5 word for that is syncretism. It is Here's God or here's Jesus. You keep all your gods and we'll just give you an extra God. He's good too. No, he said repent. He didn't share a bait and switch gospel. Let's tell you about the abundant life and, and greatness that God is going to give you. And then later on in the fine print, we'll tell you about all that judgment stuff. You know, we don't really want to upset people. And he simply didn't just do good deeds and say, can we just all be a community that agrees to be really nice? No, he proclaimed a, a whole gospel as it were. It would have been very offensive. I'm reminded of this quote often. It's a, a quote that comes from an atheist. Some of you may be familiar with the sort of comedy, back on our magi- magi- magician thing, about said musician, magician thing, Penn and Teller, if you guys are familiar with them. One night after a show that Penn and Teller did, I believe in Las Vegas, a, a man, can you believe it, had the gall to walk up to this atheist after it and to say, hey, I, I just wanted to, to let you know, you know that I'm a follower of Jesus, I wanted to give you this Bible, and I wanted to encourage you to read it because uh, what's at stake here is your life. And so the assumption is it's like, get the security guards, nut job back here, which can happen. But this was actually his response. He said, uh, this is Penn, Gillette of Penn and Taylor, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize, that is those who don't share their their faith. He said, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make things socially awkward. An atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, and he, and he didn't become a believer after this. He's just sharing his opinion like he likes to do. He said, I mean, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that if a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And if this is true, it's more important than that. To have hope in God's power to change the hardest people in the hardest places, we must be willing to share the whole gospel. The gospel is the good news of the grace of God, but the gospel includes the reason why we need the grace of God and that good news. It's really hard for us to go there. We're so afraid we're going to offend people. We're so afraid that we're going to run off people. And the reality is, sometimes we will. But the only way to get to the best news is to be willing to share what is the bad news. It's to follow in the steps of Jesus who called people to come and enjoy the abundant life that He offered. But it's the Jesus who speaks equally as often about the judgment that people are under until they find their place in Him. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go out here and get you a sign and stand on the sidewalk and say, woe is Cleveland, judgment draweth nigh, or whatever sign you've seen. But what I am saying, in the context of our relationships, in the context of the love that we have for others... We need to be willing to share the whole gospel. And we need to trust that lastly, the what we see happen here can still happen today. So not only do we trust that God can bring change in the hardest places and in the hardest people when it seems like the place or the person is too hard, when it seems like the message is just too offensive, but also when maybe our view of God's grace has been too small. So notice in verses 5 through 10. We see here, won't read it all, that, that this miraculous thing happens. So if you have trouble believing in the book of Jonah that somebody could actually be swallowed by a fish and live in it three days and be sped out, I would want to challenge you that what happens here is harder to believe. A lot easier for me to believe, because I've read some of the science on it, that a person could actually live within a fish, digestive tract for three days, But what's harder to believe is that this evil, wicked nation from its very people to the highest levels of its government could bow their knee to the true God. And yet that's what happens. In a sentence, they believed. Personal change. So I think it's important... that it it starts with the personal change in in verse 5. And I've just left verse 5 off of here, so you can't see it. But verse 5 says, they believed. That's why you need to bring your uh, copies of your Bible. There we go. Nice little lecture jab. So, and the people of Nineveh believed. And what's interesting is it starts with the people is because it wasn't that the government said, like it's happened at other points in the history of Christianity, where government officials become believers, and then now they sort of mandate a faith on everyone, like, we are now a Christian nation, whether you like it or not. No, what happens here is the people believe first. The people believe, and then the governmental leaders are changed. And it seems here like, again, it's not this syncretistic change where we're just going to add gods to our already gods, but it's sincere change because they fast. Because they're brought down to their faces. Because the king gets off his throne. Removes his robe. Pointing here to the fact, the acknowledgement of the one true king there is national change. And then there's this positional change in verse 10. And a lot of people go sideways with verses like this and try to milk them for more than they're worth when it talks about God's relenting of the disaster that he had. And, and if you know anything about prophecy, this is not saying that God is like, oh, wow, they, they repented. I'm surprised. Now, I guess I'll change my mind. No, how God works is that whenever God declares a judgment that's coming to a people, within it is an invitation to repentance. And within it is the understanding that if you repent, then no longer will I stand over you in a stance of judgment, but now I will stand over you in a stance of grace and forgiveness. That was true of all of our lives who were in Christ. John 5, 24, you have passed from death into life. At one point in our lives, the pronouncement over us was God's judgment. But then when we repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, then no longer was God's judgment over us. But now we had a new stance before God. But even more so, He had a new stance before us. So in Matthew chapter 12, we hear these words that we read last week. Jesus says, woe to you. We don't have them. Yeah, we do have them up here. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he said, Nineveh, that evil and wicked Nineveh, repented at the word of Jonah but what will you do as you stand today in front of a greater Jonah, Jesus? You see, the gospel tells us and reminds us that there is no person or place too evil, too wicked, too far gone for the power of God's grace to change. We don't have to look anywhere else than to the people sitting in our seats this morning. To be reminded there, our rescue was humanly impossible from our human perspective. The Bible makes it clear there is no one good, no not one. There's not some of us who, you know, just need a little cleaning up and others of us who need the full washing. We are all equally, desperately needy of the grace of God. We all deserve God's judgment, death, and hell forever. But the good news is the greater Jonah came for us. And the greater Jonah was rejected by us. But he never veered from his message. He told the truth, the whole truth of his grace and the whole truth of his glory. But better than Jonah, what Jesus did for us is he took the judgment that we deserved. He was the one who bore the wrath of God in our place. And he was the one who rose from the ashes, as it were, of death and hell and the grave, so that we, when we put our faith in Him, we rise as well. And we're reminded through this gospel that we see foreshadowed in Jonah's ministry to Nineveh, that we've seen today in the waters of baptism, that God is in the business of raising the dead. That's why you're here. If you think other people are too hard, if I think other people are too hard, that is pride. We are all hard. If you think you're too hard, so maybe you're like, that's not the problem. No, I think I am the worst. That's not humility. That's pride. If you think the culture that we live in and the context that you've called to serve, to be the church and bring the gospel to others is too hard, then we don't have a realistic view of things. We have a low, unbiblical view of the power of God's grace. Our response is to be the response that we see here in Jonah, though we'll see it's imperfectly carried out. It's we're to go and to be faithful and to not be frustrated because we don't have a category for how God could change others or change us or change our world, but to be faithful, to embody grace, to speak grace, to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to love others with the gospel, and to know that God is able to change the worst of the worst because He's changed us, because He changed Nineveh. The old school word for what happens here is revival. And contrary to what our southern religious culture tells us, you can't schedule it. You can just live it and plead for it and pray for it and pursue it, and we must. We must believe that revival is still possible that God can change whole neighborhoods like He changed Nineveh. He can change whole cities. He can change whole nations. If we don't believe that, we won't live into the story that it takes for that to happen. Our job is to live lives that are kindling, as it were, gathering the sticks through everyday faithfulness and love to one another and to our neighbors and to those around us and to ask God through His Spirit to set fire to it. We're to do it when the culture seems too hard, when the message seems too offensive, and when, if we're honest, God's power seems too small because God can bring change hardest people in the hardest places, even us. Father, we thank you for your good news today. As we come to your table now, may we continue to rest in your grace, to gather the kindling of the gospel, and we pray, Holy Spirit, you would set fire in us, among us, in Jesus' name, amen.